Texas Health Resources faced a long-standing problem. The need to address process and documentation breakdowns that can lurk in the chasm between clinical operations and revenue cycle management. Welcome to Advancing Health, a podcast brought to you by the American Hospital Association. I'm Tom Hitterly, Executive Speechwriter for AHA. Join us to hear the story of how Texas Health Resources pulled together a collaborative team of leaders across the system to bridge performance gaps in clinical documentation, denials management, and coding. The work of this team resulted in far superior coordination and improvements in both processes and performance. Today we'll hear insights from David C. Salisbury, Chief Revenue Officer for Texas Health Resources. Also joining us are two leading performance innovators from ProTivity. Kim pardini Kiley leads innovation services at the ProTivity Center of Excellence. And Brian Bowden is the Health Information Management Solution Lead. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProTivity. Let me begin by asking you, David, can you walk us through the opportunity that Texas Health Resources discovered as it explored new approaches to operational performance improvement. Well, Tom, you know, we're in this kind of tug of war with our third party payers where, you know, the payers got very astute and they've really learned to leverage data analytics and business technology to really connect care requirements to the requirements for payment. And what we found was that while we're kind of in this tug of war with the payers, our patients are also caught in a tug of war. You know, our patients come to us because they're really seeking, you know, f- physical well-being. And yet we find today most patients are caught between this physical well-being and financial well-being. And so the problem we found was that the providers really aren't working well between their clinical operators and their revenue cycle operators. In fact, I would say the gap has widened significantly over the past several years as the payers, again, have gotten more more sophisticated. And that just really led us to the point where we felt we needed a solution. And what we did was we birthed that solution in a group we called the Documentation, Coding, and Denials Management Coordinating Committee. We birthed that group. We call that group DCDCC. Uh, And we birthed that group right before the pandemic of last year. And so we've really been focused on this effort over the last year. So let me ask about the bottom line. What was the benefit to your patients from these improvements of THRs? Well, Tom, anytime an encounter with a patient results in friction between the payer and the provider, that creates tension for our patients because they get EOBs, they get correspondence through the course of that. And, and quite frankly, they're, they're very you know, uncertain as to what ultimately might be their out-of-pocket liability for the cost of care. So, you know, we've really opened up multiple channels around communicating with patients, whether that be through the phone, whether that be through text messaging, whether that be through chat messaging, through some of our financial portals uh, that we have. We want to really be available to that patient and help that patient understand that we're going to work with that pair to resolve these issues, uh, and we're going to resolve them with the patient's amicable way. This idea of a collaborative team of leaders across the system sounds like a significant improvement for THR. So what are the next steps, and how do you go about securing approval? Well, 
we actually did five things to bring this together. First of all, we had to identify those leaders from our clinical operations in our revenue cycle who really weren't afraid to come together and embrace change. You see a change of this nature, in my opinion, is kind of like looking at a Rubik's cube in that everyone looks at the Rubik's cube from their own vantage point. And what we had to do was bring a group together that collectively understood that the problem needed to be seen on a collective basis and, and, the, and not on an individual basis, because so often we bring our individual basis to a problem. And that if we were going to see, succeed in this space, that we had to generate leaders who could step back and see the problem more collectively. And by doing that, the third thing we did was we said with this group, we want to focus on what we call our big rock problems. Those were those very difficult problems that if you could solve them, they'd have high impact. I call them the chosen few. But in most cases, they were problems that we've actually had several attempts to resolve and were not able to do so effectively. The fourth thing that was important to us was we were given both the authority to act and the ability to act by our senior management team from the very beginning. They chartered this and said, we want this to be successful. And so from the very beginning, we had that support and it's played out through the last year. And then finally, I think the, the fifth key to what we did with this is we put together some project management resources and some structures in place. And to me, it's actually where the magic happens. It's where the secret sauce is, because what we are leveraging this this competency in doing is having a lot of the work that happens with this committee actually happens outside the committee meetings in between meetings. We have very structured agendas and we have very structured problem areas of focus and very structured problem solving ideas that is really driven in between the meetings by our PMO resources. And to follow up a little bit on that, Kim, with your expertise gained from working on other similar healthcare projects, how would you describe the qualities of the THR Council that helped it support this initiative? Sure, happy to let you know exactly what we really think are the keys to success. So, you know, as Dave said, the first thing is really starting with bringing together managers, executives, physicians, and what I'll add into this is frontline workers. And so we really had a very grassroots effort going on. And it was key because having that top-down, bottom-up approach allowed us to really dive deep into identifying and uncovering where the problems were and to really understand what the current state was before we started moving to solutioning. And I think that this is a really an important point to be made. And that is, don't start with the solution. We all know that there's a ton of stuff to fix, but what we're seeing is that your ability to fix things is about first really getting into what was the problem that you're looking to solve for. And so in this particular circumstance, we were really able to do that. And at the same time, it brought everybody together and that said, okay, we can all agree that these are the things that we need to design new solutions for. 
The second thing that we did was we really used design thinking methods. And really in doing that, bringing that team together, we were able to also gain consensus on what direction everybody wanted to go in. And I think I want to reinforce what Dave said, and that is that this particular committee had the ability and it had the authorization to be able to make strategic decisions about solving some of those problems. The third area that I would point out as really important for leading these kinds of broad initiatives is that you have to have that strict prioritization process. And again, reinforcing what Dave said about the vital few, you can't boil the ocean, right? We really uncovered a lot of different problems. And so like most executives, you want to solve for all of it. But we really, I think, under Dave's leadership, we're very, very clear. Let's pick two areas and let's nail this. So that was another, I think, really key to the success of the work that we did. And then the last thing that I would want to point out that we find incredibly successful is what priorities you have identified, what specific initiatives you're working on, you need high meeting frequency. We were meeting every week to make sure that in between the monthly council meetings that we had the work moving in the right direction. And because of that frequency, we were able to get some quick wins, which reinforced for the committee that this was really a very successful model and that we were making progress. And when people start seeing progress, they get excited, they stay engaged. And once you fix something, you can move on to the next priority. And that's what I think has been key to the success for this particular group. Yeah, this is Brian. I, I think just to add on to that, really what's been important is keeping in mind that we did not want this committee to be kind of an advisory committee or a committee in which each department just kind of discusses particular metrics and then moves on, but really a committee that was empowered to make decisions at a very high strategic level, which would impact operations. And that when we met each time, each subgroup or each team member had specific next steps plans and reportable metrics to say, this is what's working, this is not what's working, rather than each department just kind of reporting out some key metrics and, and tacitly agreeing with those. And just to follow up here, how translatable is THR's model to other organizations? Is your approach something anybody can follow? You know, just working with a lot of organizations, especially large health systems that are you partially decentralized along the revenue cycle. So, you know, there are system level functions and then there are entity or facility level functions um, that are operating simultaneously. A lot of organizations are structured that way. And this particular kind of council that was set up would lend itself well to any system that faces similar you know, structures and also faces similar issues. The types of issues that THR was grappling with, whether it's prior authorization or denials for medical necessity or coordination between providers and revenue cycle functions are something that pretty much every health system is tackling and trying to work through. The thing that really set this group apart is bringing all these very smart people who are functional leaders into one room and having them really collaborate rather than just think in silos along their particular department. 
Kim, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, thanks, Brian. I think the other piece that I would say is very translatable is the processes that we used in order to really make change happen. And that means getting that level of agreement, getting a high level of involvement from everyone. We were able, and any organization can do this, bringing the physicians along, because the bottom line is that you really want to be able to make sure that the delivery of care is first and foremost your highest priority, right? And so when you're bringing physicians along, you're really able to promote the kind of changes that you need in the clinical practices in order to achieve results. So I just wanna point out that while this very much revenue cycle um, had a very significant physician component to it. And so, again, being successful in changing practice, I think, is what we're all invested in doing. Brian, this one's for you. How were the project's metrics established, and what are the outcomes THR is realizing? Yeah, certainly. So every health system has a lot of metrics that they're able to track for revenue cycle performance and also for clinical performance. You know, if you think of things like case mix index, initial denials and adjustment, accounts receivable days, you're tracking a lot of different data. And sometimes that data can actually tell a conflicting story. A really good example is you might be looking at metrics from a compliance perspective, like a PEPPER report that says you're as a system overcoding sepsis. And then another report from your CDI, your clinical documentation improvement program that says you actually have a lot of opportunity in sepsis. So one thing that THR pointed out very quickly was they have basically the ability to track any type of metric out there. They have a lot of robust reporting out of their Epic and other tools. One of the biggest struggles is kind of figure out how to prioritize some of these metrics. Which ones do they want to focus on and which one do they really want to look at to tell the story of whether initiatives that are being put into place are actually taking effect. So with that, one thing that uh, the council decided was to utilize a fatal denials or a write-off data report. Um, and this was a data queue that was developed by THR that had really robust and extensive and detailed information around why something is being written off for services that were provided. So you could really slice and dice this data by the facility, by the payer, by the root cause. So was something written off because of medical necessity or prior authorization or coding? And we really leveraged that type of data uh, extensively because we thought it's a good piece of data to look at. It's actual dollars that THR should have gotten paid for but weren't getting paid for. And it's also pointing to things that might be indicating quality or clinical issues along the way, besides just, you know, are we collecting for the dollars we're owed? So with that data, we, we dove into it pretty extensively. We looked at particular opportunities. We ranked some of those opportunities in terms of dollars. So one really good example of how we were using that data is um, looking at past filing deadlines. So instances in which THR received a denial that they could not appeal because they missed the deadline for filing the claim. And what actually was determined was uh, for a lot of this, especially around managed Medicaid, it wasn't that they were late in filing the claim, it's that they were late in determining that a patient was eligible for Medicaid. So by working through some new process um, updates and really working with you know, some of their vendors, they were really able to 
identify fixes for that, reduce those issues around late Medicaid eligibility, and then track improvements. And I think that's just a, a good example of how you've got some good data. This data really represents dollars for THR as well as your know, clinical perspective. And you're able to track and say something's working or something's not working. It sounds like the takeaway lesson here is that many of the problems that organizations deal with, like yours, are in fact solvable with attention to detail and fresh new thinking. Is that correct? Yeah, we'd say that is very much (laughs) an accurate statement. And I think that, you know, taking a value-based approach to improving performance for an organization means that you should look at problems from a variety of vantage points. And so what we were able to do is take a look at the impact, as Brian pointed out, on the work that we were doing around the quality reporting and metrics along that line. We took a look at, obviously, the cost and uh, return on investment for this particular endeavor. And we're starting to see some really great results in terms of that. And then last thing, as David pointed out, making sure that our processes were really very patient-centric, meaning that we were really working to make sure that we were meeting the patient's needs in all of this as well. So again, I think that value-based approach is what also drives some success. Yeah, and that value-based approach as well as that patient-centered approach and not just focusing on the dollars really gains a lot of buy-in from your provider community and the clinicians who are actually doing the work. And that's crucial, or else you're really just reporting out on dollars, which will not resonate as much for your provider community as how am I treating my patients and how is this helping the patients who come through our doors? Is there anything we haven't covered yet in terms of telling THR's success story that you guys would like to add at this point? You know, the one thing I would just you know commend THR for was set this particular council up, which involved a lot of executive level leaders. And they managed to keep it going through a crisis, through a pandemic, really making sure that this group did not lose momentum. And the council, which so much work and planning had gone into, wasn't shelved, but continued to make improvements, even as they you know, face a number of other challenges, both operational and otherwise, due to the public health emergency and the pandemic. So that's something to be very, very proud of as an organization. Certainly. I mean, I think to pick up on Brian's point, Our team sees this effort as very meaningful. As I indicated earlier, some of these problems are problems we've tried to deal with. And I think bringing our clinical leaders and our physicians into the discussion has really done wonders for our revenue cycle team. It's enabled them to see these problems more expansive and really allow them to actually help the providers understand we're not just after the money. You know, oftentimes we have revenue cycle staff are viewed as we're just after the money and we're not. We're really trying to balance that that total patient experience with the financial realities of what it takes to provide health care. And we feel like we've been able to do that well with this with this effort. David, Kim, and Brian, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing THR's terrific story. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you'd like to learn more about Protivity and their services, please visit www.protivity.com. Thanks for listening.